80% of our time is spent at work. It's the last uh, research number that I've seen, 80% of our time. So that's more than with our families, our loved ones, 80%. And so that means if I'm spending 80% of my time with people in the workspace, how much do they really know about me? How much is honest me? How much is code switching me? I'm just a version of me. And that can be so conflicting being a version here and a different version there. Hey friends, and welcome to You Deserve to Love Your Job with me, Arlene Pace Green. My goal is to help you identify and achieve your greatest aspirations and have a lot of fun along the way. I'm so glad you've joined me on this journey. Let's go. I am so excited to let you know that the You Deserve to Love Your Job book is available. It's in paperback and Kindle. I wrote the book for anyone who is looking for more purpose, more meaning, and more joy in your work and life. Filled with examples, quizzes, and experiences from real people, including me, and the book lays out a roadmap to help you clarify your purpose and create an action plan to achieve it. Go get it. It's available on Amazon. joining today's podcast. And this is such an interesting conversation because it's about an area that so many of us have thought about and been challenged by over the years, faith and work. So today you'll hear a conversation between myself and Dr. Kenneth Chapman Jr. Dr. Chapman currently serves as a professor, an executive pastor, and an education consultant. Talk about faith at work. (laughs) Dr. Chapman serves on the faculty at Texas Christian University in the MJ Neely School of Business where he teaches and researches the business impact of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Previously, Dr. Chapman served at the University of Oklahoma as a faculty member and founding director of the Michael F. Price College of Business Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Prior to OU, Dr. Chapman served as Assistant Dean of Student Development and Diversity at Oklahoma Baptist University. In this role, he was tasked with enhancing the campus culture and instituting a diversity plan that ensured students, faculty, and staff understood what it means to embrace a diverse world. Dr. Chapman earned a bachelor's degree in public relations and mass communication from the University of Central Oklahoma and a master's of education and doctorate of philosophy from the University of Oklahoma. Dr. Chapman's research interests are in Christian diversity, student success, and leadership. He focuses on helping organizations embrace, employ, and engage in kingdom diversity and unity practices. Pastor Chapman, as I'll call him, uh, because he also currently serves as executive pastor at Life Changing Faith Christian Fellowship in Frisco, Texas, and has been blessed to preach at churches and conferences at the local, state, and national levels. Dr. Chapman is married to Kimberly Kiara Chapman, and we get to learn a little bit about her in this episode, and they reside in Frisco, Texas with their children. So thank you all so much for joining today's episode. It is interesting and challenging, and I know you're going to enjoy. So thank you all for joining and enjoy. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Chapman, Pastor Chapman, Elder Chapman. (laughs) Uh, and for the audience's sake, I wanted to share that, you know, we get a chance to work together a good bit. So we both are members at Life Changing Faith Christian Fellowship, as our senior pastor likes to say, in the heart of Frisco, Texas at 7185 West Main Street. <laughs> so we're both members there. And Pastor Chapman is the executive pastor and elder. So he's like the right hand to our senior pastor, you know, preaches, teaches, does a lot of the things at the church. 
I work on our Leadership Training Institute, which is charged with just being good support in leaders development and supporting leaders. So we get a chance to work together a good bit in terms of in meetings together. I get to see his beautiful family on Sundays in service. I get to harass you over email and text every now and then if we're working on something. So thank you for joining and for your time in discussing this really important topic. So. Thanks for having me. Excited about the topic and excited to always get to work with you because we like-minded individuals think alike. And so it's able to take complex problems in the church or in the workplace and break them down and solve them. So that's what's fun for me. Okay, good. Yeah. And this is a complex topic because um, I said I should award you for your bravery and waiting in on this topic because I was telling you that I did a Facebook post just asking people what their challenges are as it relates to faith and work. And, you know, what I saw is just a really big range of responses from some people that think of it as totally separate, whether that's based on their personal beliefs or their work environment, they like to keep it totally separate. And then another group of people that are trying to integrate it in some way and live a more integrated life. But the responses were really different. So just thank you for your vulnerability, as uh, Brene Brown would say, stepping into the arena to talk about this topic so people can hopefully walk away with some things that are helpful, you know, as they consider how these two topics um, show up in their own life. So I appreciate you being here. Oh, glad to be here. So I thought we might start with just, you know, if we think about faith and work together, just start, I think most of us know what work is. Um, How would you describe faith? What do you think of when someone says their faith and work? How do you you describe what faith is? Yeah, so I think faith is broadly defined. Uh, When I was doing graduate work, I looked at faith of students and, you know, look, faith could be, you know, identifying with Muslim communities, Christian communities, or just spiritual, right? Just that, that higher level of thinking and engagement, that deeper meaning, that purpose. Um, you know, I've found some individuals define faith as literally just walking, letting their face blow, the wind blow in their face and centering themselves. That's a level of faith. Um, for me, uh, defining faith is Christianity. Um, as a follower of Jesus Christ. But I think faith is defined by kind of whatever the individual wants to define it as. Mm -hmm. And what those faith practices look like may vary based on what their definition is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is probably one thing that makes this so such a complex topic, especially as you relate to how this integrates into a work environment. So um, when you think about work and faith intersecting, like what comes to mind for you? How do you think faith and work intersect? Yeah, so I think it's complex and it's challenging because historically, me coming out of a corporate banking background where in the corporate space, you know, you don't talk about, you know, salary, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion. Um, and that was the old business mindset. But now we have evolved, our society has evolved. Um, and now there where we you know we have haven't done diversity work, you know, we're talking about, you know, bring authentic self to work and identity development and all these conversations around identity, um, I think faith in the workplace, uh, for me, they're not mutually exclusive uh, because I think they actually go together because to say they're exclusive means that I'm code switching, right? If I use that term that I'm one person, one place and another person, another place. Um, And I think we've all been there, but I think what I've learned coming out of banking into education, public institutions, where, you know, the separation of church and state, and there's a separation to where, you know, the identity line is drawn. I'm doing a disservice to myself by not living out my faith in the workplace, but also being mindful of what that looks like. Um, And so, you know, each workplace is different, you know, Fortune 500 versus, you know, the 
the mom and pop small business, uh, but corporate policies. And so I think understanding what what I define faith as one, and then what are those faith practices, and then where do I work? You know, what does that look like? And then how do I? Uh, what level of comfort do I have integrating across my faith into the workplace um, and also workplace into faith? Because a lot of the work I do as executive pastor, when we do leadership, LTI, we're doing that in the business sector, right? With org charts, support charts and leadership development. And so I think it's kind of a bridge, but I think people have to find what they're comfortable with, with that bridge and what level of frequency and level of engagement between faith and workplace. If that kind of helps set new uh, context. Yeah, it, it does. And I, I think I even noticed that in some of the answers on my post that, you know, based on your work environment, to your point, public institutions, governmental institutions, it seemed less comfortable with this kind of integrated idea. And then some of the corporate environments, some of them actually talked about how things have been changing. And I was reading an article that talked about, you know, religion or faith as like the forgotten element of diversity. Like we spent a lot of time on race or gender or even personality, lots of factors, but have kind of stayed away from religion, probably politics also would be in that bucket because it just seemed too difficult or complex. So I'm curious, have you, when you think about how faith and work intersect for you, has it changed based on those environments or how do you, how do you think about how they intersect for you personally? It has evolved. Um, so again, coming um, into corporate space, it was very, you know, that strict mindset, you know, those HR no-nos we don't talk about. Um, and, you know, that was very early on where, you know, didn't talk about faith, didn't talk about salary, didn't talk about politics until, you know, you went to lunch with a person and found out, oh, that they are a believer. And so now that kind of opened the door for having, you know, faith conversations. So that was early on. But I think as I kind of evolved spiritually and got more involved in church and accepted my calling, yeah. uh, my calling led before my professional identity. Um, and then so when I went into public institutions, um, state institutions, you know, I've always been explicitly upfront that I'm a man of faith, but I'm also responsible with that, that, you know, I'm not browbeating people. I'm not, I know what, you know, people think about people of faith and certain faiths, but I just want you to know that I'm a man of faith, but I'm also here to do a job and my faith won't impact my ability to serve students, to teach classes but it is an identity that I hold and that I won't hide, that I'm gonna wear proudly, unapologetically Christian. Um, and so, and I think my work has allowed me to speak for that, how I'm able to serve a diverse student, work with Muslim students of different faiths and that you know we're interfaith relationships. And then what I've noticed is having done diversity work is like, to your point, you know, ERGs, employee resource groups and business resource groups, you know, it was race, it was gender, leadership focus, but now we have, you know, faith ERGs in the corporate space where we're developing communities for people of faith, uh, interfaith and different faiths, you know, because it's such a compelling identity that we bring to work. Why should we have to turn it off? What are ways that we can develop it, encourage it, and live in it in our workplace, but also still get our jobs done? And so that's kind of been my approach to and my involvement as I evolved over, over the years. So now I'm kind of unapologetically in my classes um, you know, people know that I'm a pastor. I don't apologize for that, but I also take that responsibility to let them know I'm not your typical pastor because you can I, sometimes be categorized based on, oh, he's a pastor. He must be X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Now I'm one who is just here to show love and grace and help you along your way, whatever faith, however you identify. And so that's how I've been able to integrate my, my faith into the work that I do. 
Mm, that is so, I think that's an important strategy because I think you're right. A lot of us know that if you are, if you kind of share your faith unapologetically, like you said, then sometimes there is a stigma that comes with that. Like people are thinking, oh, here she, <laughs> she's going to be coming in with her Bible every, you know, every meeting or class, or um, now she's going to be trying to tell me what I should and shouldn't do. Like, you know, there is a stigma to that. So I think it's interesting that you've been able to both share who you are and respect. It's like, I'm sharing who I am and I'm respecting who you are. So I could see how that might make them more comfortable to share who they are, even if it's different, because we're both being just more honest. It's like a more honest space to really just be who you really are. Yeah. And, you know, 80% of our time is spent at work. It was the last uh, research number that I've seen, 80% of our time. So that's more than with our families, our loved ones, 80%. And so that means if I'm spending 80% of my time with people in the workspace, how much do they really know about me? How much is honest me? How much is code switching me? I'm just a version of me. And that can be so conflicting being a version here and a different version there. I mean, I think that was part of my involvement as well, too, because, you know, those believers that I would meet kind of just stumbling upon it, oh, you're a fellow believer mm-hmm. um, who would come and visit church or we would do faith things together. They would say, oh, you're completely different at church. You, you're you this loud and charismatic preacher oh. on Sunday mornings, but you're different uh, in the office on Mondays. How How's that? And it was almost kind of like an aha moment, like, why am I different? And so I had to navigate, you know, my level of comfort, you know, sharing who I am. And so uh, one thing I love about our senior pastor is like, he is consistent everywhere he goes. He's going <laughs> to hug on you. He's going to play. He's going to joke. And wherever we go, he's consistent who he is. And they know that's Pastor Dono. So, yeah. uh, and so I think that's kind of the model just that I've grown into just being Pastor Chapman, Dr. Chapman, Professor Chapman, Elder Chapman, like it's consistent. Yeah. But there are times when I respectfully not deny who I am, but respectfully, you know, make sure that I'm responsible with my faith. And so, you know, I've got to go um, to a fellow coworker, colleague, her mom passed away and they're of a different faith. Mm-hmm. And she asked me to attend tomorrow out of support. And so I'm going. And so even though our faiths are not the same, I'm going to respectfully be responsible with my faith and go in that space. And there's going to be some colleagues there who, uh, who probably don't know that I'm a pastor because I'm going to say some words. And so it's going to be, am I going to live in that surprise? I never knew Dr. Chapman was a pastor, or am I going to walk that out in love and grace and kind of show them that this is the other side of me that you did not know? And there's no love loss. It's just another identity as, you know, Black, male. It's just another identity, faith. And so it's just an hat that I wear. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Because I, you know, even from just thinking about leadership perspective, there's a lot of research that says people pick up on, they pick up when we're not genuine completely because like they don't know what it is, but they're like something about, you know, it's just something about that person doesn't feel whole. It doesn't feel like they're being fully who they are. And so to your point, if I have to leave my faith outside the door and that's key to who I am, then I'm taking this energy to like keep it separate. And that energy, people pick up on that and they feel like they don't really know you. So I could see how and to your point, you are really charismatic. You're super funny. Like, <laughs> I mean, just very, you bring a lot of energy and joy. And so, yeah, I could see how bringing that all together and whether it's a work context, a faith context, whatever it is, people would respond to that more because it feels real. Right. You know, right. it feels real. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked about, you know, having done diversity work, we're just in this day and age now where, you know, when I talk to, as a business professor, I talk to companies all the time where I talk about inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you can't have inclusion unless you consider the faith conversation, um, just like we do with all the other identities. And so now, you know, when I get calls for references for students for internships, when we talk about, hey, I want a diverse student, that conversation is now just, I don't want minority, you know, I want uh, gender diversity, I want faith diversity, I want Muslim students as well too. So now I think society has shifted. So now our business corporate spaces have shifted. And so now we're even shifting now to where it's actually, I think, more accepted yeah. uh, to live out your faith. Uh, you know, and I think in terms of, you know, inclusion in different industries, you know, Muslims have a right to pray and have a designated space where they can pray. Yeah. Uh, so if we're true inclusion and true equity, then Christians should have the same opportunity in other faiths as well, too. And then one would argue, well, we're opening up Pandora's box and then everybody, however they identify, is going to get what they need. But research has backed up the fact that when people are valued, appreciated, and feel included, and their identities are celebrated, yeah. productivity goes up, profitability goes up, and overall employee satisfaction goes up. And so I think it's almost a cost that's it's an investment versus an expense later on down the road with hiring, firing, retraining, and doing those things. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Because when you said that, when you're like every, you know, someone, Muslim may have an area to pray, Christians may have an area to pray, or just supporting people's different faith beliefs. I was thinking that I was like, I bet someone's like, oh no, now I'm going to have to do all these things. But the reality is, don't you want to do all those things? Like, don't you want people to be exceptionally comfortable in their work environment? I mean, that's somewhere I'm going to stay. If I feel like I can show up somewhere and really be me and have who I am supported in that environment, that's an attraction factor that um, is probably pretty hard to beat. So I could see how it relates to so many good outcomes for, for leaders and companies. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What have you seen being some of the biggest challenges people have in this integration, like in this integration of faith and work? What do you think are some things people struggle with or just challenges people have? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing, uh, several, but I think the biggest thing is, you know, the assumption that all are alike. Um, and so when we have the loudest voices representing, so I speak for my faith, Christianity, um, and so I identify as Christian, and then there's a loud voice in Christianity that says something that is, you know, unorthodox or completely counter to, you know, what we believe, then they become the spokesperson for all. Similarized with, you know, uh, African-American Black people, you know, when there's one person who speaks, they don't speak for all African-American women. But I think those loudest voices almost hinder us because now they categorize us. And so they think, well, that denomination, they're Christian and they believe this, so you must believe that too. Yeah. Uh, the monolithic approach, I think, is bad. And so the, the categorize us then is a hindrance. And so then it makes me not want to share my faith because I'm going to be lumped in with that group. And then I think the other piece too is depending on the industry or the place, what level of comfort, like if I pray over my meal at lunch, you know, you know, what's that going to look like? Um, if I, you know, have up, you know, inspirational scriptures in my office, in the accounting department, you know, you know, is that going to be seen one way or, or the other, right? And so I think those are the things that we have to talk about in terms of being level of comfort. Those are super practical because I've been in that situation. Like I've been, you know, a lot of us do lunches, dinners, breakfast, whatever together. And I've been at these meals and it's mm -hmm. like the food comes on the table. <laughs> I've had this moment so many times. I kind of have an approach now, but the food lands on the table and, you know, with other people that, you know, you have the same faith. Someone's like, oh, I'll pray over it. Or do you want to pray? And it's like super easy. But if you're not of the same faith or if that's just not a practice someone has, then it's like the food lands on the table, the conversation's going. You kind of hate to say, 
hold on for a second. Cause I need to pray over my food. Like it, it just, it creates this kind of awkward choice a little bit. And so I've cut, I now have a strategy where I'll just, you know, I'll wait and I won't eat and I'll say, Oh, you know, excuse me for one second. I'll say a quick prayer and then I'll keep, but that is, I mean, those little things around scriptures in your office, praying right. over your food. Like those are moments where you have to decide, am I integrating and just kind of being unapologetic or am I trying to leave it at the door? <laughs> like those are real moments. I don't know if you, if you deal with those kind of. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and I think those real moments create, uh, I think that's faith development on one end, but also kind of the workspace corporate employee development as well too, because you're at a juncture, what do I choose? Yeah. Do I, you know, just put this away uh, and code switch and hide it or do I live it out? Cause then it creates that conflict internally. You know, when I was in corporate, you know, there was always meetings Wednesday evenings. Uh, and when you travel, unless you're catching a red eye back, then, you know, Sunday you're traveling, right? And so I had to schedule my travel around certain days uh, because I wanted to be at Bible study on Wednesday. I wanted to be in Sunday morning service. There are times it didn't work out, but, you know, the travel department didn't understand why you were paying extra to catch the red eye back for to be at church. And I'm like, well, it's a, it's a faith thing for me. And so when we had that conversation, you know, they understood it, but it was just, again, and this was early on when conversations around inclusion and supporting identities was early on. But it was kind of like, I'm costing the company a little bit of extra money for a, a different flight to get back, but this is this is who I am. And so there were times when I denied who I was yeah. to be in the corporate space. But then as time went on, you know, I made that decision. So I figured out a, a pathway. So conferences, mm -hmm. if it runs through a Sunday, if it's a Sunday that I can miss, great. But if not, I try to work around that Wednesdays. And so it's it's a, it's more active control of the schedule and active conversation. In that awkward moment, you know, do I blend? Do I, you know, converge into who I really am, or do I not and just wait for the next awkward moment? So I, I definitely agree that those moments present themselves, you know, and you know, one that I had often um and still do to this day. And so is, you know, students that I work with now, uh, colleagues, faculty, individuals who will lose a loved one and who'll share with me that. And so in in my faith, it's like, and as a pastor, it's like. Well, can I pray with you? You know, can I encourage you? Is it okay to send you a script? I don't know their faith. I don't know, you know, you know, if it's appropriate. And so my strategy now is, um, hey, I'm a person of faith. Uh, I'm a pastor. Do you mind if I pray with you? And that opens the door. If it's no, I'm great. But at least I was responsible with my faith in that moment, mm. in that space to where it opened the door. And if not, then we move on. But if so, then I was able to kind of integrate and, and live it out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That. I mean, it kind of brings up two topics that I've heard people talk a lot about. One is these boundaries around what's important to you, your faith. And to your point, if your faith is, you know, around being outside and just, I mean, whatever it is important to you from a spiritual perspective, being willing to put boundaries around that in a work environment can be challenging, sometimes takes a bit more assertiveness and almost like this came up in the Facebook post, a little bit of willingness to stand alone. And that's something I was reading about in an article that one of the challenges of living out your faith at work is it can feel lonely because to your point, not everyone's doing it. So you might end up in these scenarios where, you know, you're having to choose, you might choose to do it, but you might be doing it alone. And that can just feel much more challenging for people. Isolating. Yeah. Um, and, you, and, you know, and that is, I think, giving everything these days with inclusion in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I, 
my hope is that it those isolating moments are reducing because companies are really engaged mm-hmm. in diversity and inclusion. And I think faith is now one of those elements um, because when you think about it back, uh, civil rights movement, you know, it was, you know, African-Americans were the one and onlys and isolated, right? When they got a college degree and made it to the corner suite isolation. I think those identities have always gone through an isolation period, but now I think that we're more welcoming now yeah. Uh, this will work to go, but I think hopefully those isolating moments are less and less mm-hmm. uh, because that isolation can be very hard on your psyche and your and your work and create work stress and and then internal conflict because who I am is not in agreement with what I'm doing and where I operate and so that that conflict clashes. So yes, it's very intense. Yeah, it could be a faith crisis for, for sure in some of those moments. And I was looking at a study by Barna, which kind of reflects some of what you were saying in terms of where we are at faith at work. And this was specifically about Christians at work. So this is, uh, Barnard, I think, does research mainly on Christian populations. Uh, But they were saying that most people believe that you have responsibility to act in a certain, to bring your values to your workplace. So being honest, acting with integrity. So I'd say those things that are a part of a lot of people's faiths and also align up with the work environment, Everyone's like, easy to do, got it. (laughs) So like 80%, 70% said, yes, you should do that. It starts to drop into about 50% when you're starting to do things that maybe don't align with that work culture. So things like being humble or being a servant of other people, you know, sometimes that's aligned with the work culture. Sometimes it's not. So about half the people are like, yeah, that's a good thing to do. And then it drops off to 2030s when you start talking about things that influence other people. So you know, um, share my faith with someone else, like you were saying, or uh, I think things that are a bit more proactive, people are like, I don't, you know, I don't know about that. So to your point, I think it is a, it's a transition over time. And maybe as more people share their faith, live out their faith at work, it creates a space where other people are also, you know, just more comfortable doing that as well. But it sounds like right now it's still a, you know, it's a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah. uh, And I think it's a challenge because of one of the things that I've noticed is, so being a pastor, Christian, then doing diversity work, because we have definitions of what things should be and what they look like. And when those are incongruent um, and not lateral or intersectional, they're incongruent. So faith believes this, but you know the definition of diversity or corporate workspace believes that, whatever issue it is, completely different, well, they clash. And so if there's no bridge or no intersection, then they're constantly clashing. So people have asked me, how can you be a pastor, a man of God, work at a public institution and do diversity work? Because you're going to be a part of things that don't align with your faith. Mm. And my response has always been, you know, well, again, according to my faith, how can they receive the gospel if it's hid from them? Once I look at it, I have an opportunity to show love and grace. And every moment is not a preaching moment. Some just good human decency, just to show respect to somebody, yeah. uh, just to be there for them, right? Um, and so uh, that's been my approach is not this, you know, got to quote scripture and got to give a three-point sermon, uh, which you know, I, I will do and can do yes. uh, well, right? But it's just basic human decency. And it's not morality for me. It's Christianity for me that fuels that human decency, while others, it may be something else. And that's that's my faith. Um, and I'll never forget, I left uh, one institution that was a Christian institution going to the public university and there were people I respected who sat me down and said, you're crazy. Why would you go to a public space? You're going to, 
you can't live out your faith there. Why do you do that? And I'm like, if I'm scared to go to a place where I, I can't live and walk my faith out, then I need to reconsider my faith altogether, right? Like, what kind of faith is that? And I've never had a situation to where I've lost a job or been called to the boss's office because of my faith. There's been some conversations. Um, and I, like I said, but it's also, a, it's a responsibility that I hold and an obligation to manage it and steward it well, but also know where I'm at and be aware of where I'm at and how do I navigate it? Um, were there times when I preach a three-point sermon? Absolutely. But were there other times where I'm just a good human being? Absolutely. But that was fueled not by just morality or just being good. It was fueled by my Christian faith in that very public government corporate space. Mm-hmm. But it was fueled by my Christian faith, not just from doing good. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, even if we think about just within the Christian faith, if you know, think about Jesus Christ, he was in a lot of uh, public spaces. <laughs> he wasn't, you know, just like at the temple and, you know, whatever it might be living out life in a way that's aligned with the faith principles. So yeah, I could see that. I could see, I think it's, it's a challenge, but I could see that for sure. What have been, like, what have been your best experiences on the integration of the two? Like, what do you think is the most positive thing about living this kind of integrated life? So I think for me, it has been people knowing that I am a pastor and knowing who to go to um, in crisis. You know, I can remember situations to where you know, someone close to us in the corporation or uh, at the institution passed away and people were turning to me for, you know, consoling and comforting. And it's only because they knew I was a person of faith um, or even situations to where, you know, they're going through their worst life situations and they come to make an appointment with me and they're like, oh, I know your pastor. I got this question. One of the, and so I think being that light in darkness, um, that lighthouse, um, uh, and, and again, never necessarily being on a uh, a conversation about salvation and preaching a sermon about that, but just looking for comfort. And I'm able to be there in that moment for them, which builds a relationship, uh, which, you know, we look at the word pastoring, shepherding, being being a shepherd. And so that has been the reward of kind of living out my faith because people know where to go. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I accepted my call and left banking, left corporate to go teach and preach, I just wanted to be used and use my calling for the good of humanity. And so that's always rewarding because now people are finding me because they know that, hey, I don't, I don't know any, I don't have a childhood pastor. I don't know anybody to go to, oh, Dr. Chapman, let me go to him and give this situation to him. And so it'll be some of the most randomest things. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm flunking this class. Will you pray for me? Or, hey, I'm dealing with this. Will you pray for me? I know that you're a pastor and the people that you think are not of the faith come to you, colleagues uh, and even higher level folks, deans and vice chancellors who you interact with and like, hey, I know you're a pastor. Um, and so I think that's the reward that comes from it. Um, and I think the other piece too is, again, it's not sermons and Romans road to salvation, but it's just being some good. I think we need good in our lives right now, uh, coming out of pandemic, all the social issues, just good human interactions. Um, and I think, you know, you know, as pastors taught me, he hugs everybody, but it's like letting people know, hey, I'm a hugger. You need a hug. And so that's one of the things I've been trying to implement in my life is like, because I think the power of connectivity, just human touch, just a hug, um, nothing is so bad that we can't overcome, um, you know, just with talking, looking for the brighter spots um, and just staying connected. So that's kind of been the reward for integrating faith in the workplace for me. As you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, it's almost like if you were in a workplace and you were a physician in your other life and you didn't tell anybody and then someone's sick, they don't know where to, you know what I mean? It's like by not sharing who we are, whether that 
whatever your faith might be or your gifts might be, people can't pull on it. Like they can't pull on that gift. They can't really, it can't bring value and contribution to other people into the workplace. So I could totally see that. Like just people knowing that and thinking, oh, I know who I'm, <laughs> I know who I'm calling. I'm about to call Dr. Chapman to talk about this particular topic. And, you know, we could do that with so many other places if we were all actually being transparent with who we are. Right. And then you know who to pull on for what. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, too, the other piece is, you know, not everybody is as charismatic as out of open and as bold, which yeah. is fine based on your personality. Uh, I think, you know, Kimberly, she's an ICU ER nurse. And so, you know, she doesn't know the faith of individuals, but what she always does before a surgery or before an interaction, she just takes a moment outside the room and says a quick prayer. Mm. And people don't always know what she's doing. I think maybe she's just thinking or maybe she's trying to figure out what dosage to give. But she's praying before they go in and have these massive heart surgeries or take an axe out of a head. Like she's praying uh, for them because of her faith at the workplace. Yeah. Uh, and that's been her way to integrate faith into the things. And then there's people who are Christian who come in and she prays with them. But then there, you know, the atheist comes in uh, who has a two by four in his head, doesn't believe in God, but she's a person of faith. So outside the room, she's going to stop, take a moment and pray yeah. uh, and then go in and then serve them well and nurse them back to excellent health. And so that's, you know, another example of just integrating it. And it's not bold. It's not, you know, charismatic. It's not, you know, giving them strict or anything, but it's just kind of that own way of integrating faith in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that example for her too. on just, it can be different ways. Um, Cause sometimes I'll meet with a client and it'll just be so heavy what they're dealing with on me too. And I'm like, you know, Lord bless them, bless this situation, help it to all work out, whatever it might be. But to your point, there are ways to integrate your faith so that you're operating in alignment with who you are, even if it's not something that's bold or, you know, I mean, you can pray if you're a person of prayer, you can pray before a meeting without, you don't need anyone's permission to do that. So there, there are kind of other ways to integrate your faith, even if it's not things that are maybe directly with someone else. So yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really good point. I'm curious your, your perspective on this. I've heard some people say, you know, they're spiritual or they're people of faith, but maybe not religious. And as people think about their own faith, like, how do you think about being spiritual when people say that I'm spiritual, not religious? Is that okay? Is that like, what's your thoughts on that kind of idea? Because I, I know I've read some studies about religion in terms of going places is kind of like attending services, maybe going down, but maybe more people are spiritual. So I'm just curious on your perspective on that, because that seems to come up a lot with people. So I'm glad you asked, because half of my first chapter is defining uh you know, religion, religiosity, and then spiritual. Um, and so obviously, you know, faith is a synonym, right, for religion, right? But re religion is the practice that we do, go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, prayer, fasting, those, that's part of our religion, Christianity, our religion, the religious practices. Mm -hmm. Religiosity is, you know, the, how religious are we? And so Dr. Chapman's also a pastor, how much he lives that out in the workplace. That's my religiosity. Mm -hmm. um, and then spirituality. And so the best way for me to explain that is basically, you know, relationship uh, versus, you know, the actual religiousness of doing something. And so we can do anything religious. I can drink Coca-Cola religiously, right? I can go to a place religiously. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some religious Dallas Cowboy fans, right? Religious, yes. the act of doing something that is sacred to that individual. Mm -hmm. uh, but spirituality is more that relationship mm -hmm. in tune with something higher than you, deeper than you, 
Um, and so, and that can mean different things to different people. Uh, so for Christians, um, it's spiritual. Our spirituality is connected to Jesus Christ, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. That's our spirituality. For Muslims, it's Muhammad. It's those different things. So it can mean different things, but spirituality is more the relationship. Mm -hmm. Religion is more the practice and the act of doing. And then religiosity is kind of that level of where I'm at in terms of am I full all in, like always religious, quoting the scripture every time I open my mouth versus I'm spiritual and I have a religion and I integrate it as much as possible. So those are kind of the definitions that I, I use as I have this conversation. Um, and so I think it's important to know that it's all relative to the individual, right? Because I know individuals who are spiritual, but don't go to church, you know Jesus Christ as their savior and will be considered Christian, but they don't go to attend an organized religious service. Mm. Um, and then I know people who are religious, but don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and aren't spiritual. So I think it's relative to the individual, uh, which the, gives the true meaning and definition of those terms. Okay. Okay. That's, that's really helpful. So let's say someone is on this journey of faith, just trying to explore and explore their faith further. What kind of thoughts might you give them? And this, I don't know if this is the pastoral hat or the professor hat, <laughs> which one is both, I guess, because you're both. So uh, what, what thoughts or recommendations might you get them just on, give people on just exploring your faith? Because I think the more you explore and understand it, the more comfortable you are integrating it, you know, maybe into your work, but how would you just recommend people explore further? That's a great question. So I think it's like with anything we do. So how can I become a better professor? And so I'm constantly looking at teaching practices, how to engage students, 18, 21 year olds, how to become a better researcher. I'm constantly looking at how to refine my research skills, reading articles, looking for the latest and greatest. Likewise with faith, you know, um, how do we delve into the materials that are out there, readings, devotionals, uh, but also leaning into community? How can I learn what others in this space are doing? You know, how can I call up Dr. Reen and say, hey, you, you've been in some spaces I've been in. How did you live out your faith? Or help me walk this out, hold me accountable and find best practices. And then I think one thing that is very helpful is documenting the moments of awkwardness and the moments that are uncomfortable. So I'm at a luncheon and I froze. I didn't know to pray or not, or I had a conversation with someone of a different faith. I didn't know what to say. Mark that down um, and talk to your wise counsel. Talk to those mentors, see how they handled it. Uh, go to the word of God, uh, of the Christian faith that we rely on and see, we know how do we live that out? Uh, because sometimes the best answer is the one, the first one that you employ because what you're comfortable with, because what has worked for you may not work for me and level of engagement and level of in that moment. But I think marking those down, you're able to kind of see and think through next time. Here's how I act. So now you've got from that. So when you're at a luncheon, you know, you take a moment, you excuse yourself and, and, and you pray, right? Um, but that only came from that awkward moment several times over. And then kind of going back and assessing what are you comfortable with? How do you reconcile who you are with kind of where you're at in that space? And then I think the last thing for uh, true faith development is continue to push yourself to merge who you are with kind of your true self. Because I think the conflict always comes in when we are not our true authentic selves, because you walk away from there thinking, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have did this. And it's almost kind of that impostorship syndrome, the fraudulent. And so you're, you know, praising, worshiping on Sunday morning, but yet you were in a situation to where you could have shared your faith or lived it out and been kind of a champion 
and you didn't, and it kind of it kind of eats away at you. And I have many of those ones like you're a pastor, you just walk right past that situation and say or do anything. And so it's like, okay, forgive me, Lord. I want to live this out a little bit better. Give me that opportunity again to do that. Um, I had a situation, I was at Walgreens picking up uh, some candy or something. So I was just in and out. I didn't want to, I think I was running late to church on a Wednesday. And so it was on Main Street and there was a elderly man in a car. Um, and then uh, everybody ran over to the elderly man because I guess he had passed out and he was sick, mm. uh, having a medical moment. And so I went in, I got my candy uh, and I think it was for the kids because five kids always had me doing something. So I was running late, I was frustrated and I came out and everybody's ran over there and I went and got in the car and started to pull off. Mm-hmm. And something told me, now you're a pastor. Now you don't have a medical background and I don't want to be nosy. Don't want to be nobody's business. It's Frisco. But what if they needed some prayer or something in that moment? So I turned around, went back, walked over. Uh, don't know any of these people. And I said, hey, what's going on? They said, we've already called the ambulance. It's on the way. He's dying. Like he's having a massive heart attack. Wow. And so I said, uh, I'm a pastor. Do you all mind if I pray? And so the guy who was there assisting said, I'm a believer as well. Yes, pray. So we prayed and then mm-hmm. I left from there and I felt better uh, as, I, if, as if I needed a pat on the back, but I don't know what happened. But in that moment, I was able to live out my faith, not necessarily in the workplace, but in public, right? Mm-hmm. And just took the bold step because I believe in the power of prayer. And there, that may have influenced somebody to say, to believe in the church again, to believe in faith again, or to just live it out. It wasn't scripture. It wasn't sermon. It wasn't oh, everybody's going to hell over here. It was just, hey, here's how I am, being responsible with my calling. And here's what I'm going to do, just to let you know, so in case anybody's uncomfortable, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to move on. And then God got glory from that, hopefully, in that moment. And then I learned a moment there, right? To it's okay to be bold with your faith. Uh, and so I do that at workplace now. Is it okay if I pray for you? Um, knowing that we may be different face, knowing they may know me in this space, but that's my calling. And so I want to live it out uh, for the glory of God and wherever I go, work, home, church. So the way it's consistent, doctor, pastor, elder, not just these various identities, wherever you catch me at. So. Mm, that is good. I That kind of brings tears to my eyes, actually. That is quite a moment. I mean... And I think to to your point about exploring the tension, like when you feel that tension, that's an opportunity to say, okay, what do I want to do in this moment? And sometimes we make the right choices. Sometimes we don't. I love that you were kind of going one way and had the opportunity to go do something different in that moment. Uh, that's like, yeah, that, that brings tears to my eyes. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, like being willing to acknowledge the tension, to your point, write it down and fully explore it so that you can decide okay, if this moment comes again, <laughs> what am I going to do? And I've had that with a lot of things. Like I, I remember, you know, just feeling like I should have advocated for someone and I didn't. And I'm like, you know what, next time, like next, you know, bring me that opportunity again. And I'm all over it. Like I'm going to advocate for them. So it is a lot we can learn in not ignoring the tension, not overly judging yourself by the tension, but recognizing it and be like, you know what, I want to do better. Like, forgive me for that. But next time, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to do something different. So I love that. In that hearing you. So advocating for that person the next time. Yeah. It's what a good leader would do, right? It's what, you know, corporate development does, but you have that unction to do that because of your faith. So mm-hmm. that right there is faith in the workplace. And so it's not always aligned just with a sermon or something. It's just basic practices that we do that is inspired by our faith because mm-hmm. advocate to the least of these, Jesus teaches us that, right? be the louder voice, uh, the voice of reason. And so I think that we don't have to look for these just aha Billy Graham moments. Yeah. (laughs) Moments in the workplace where we could, you know, there were times when we had heated debates and heated 
discussions about, you know, balance sheets and all this stuff at the bank. And so when I would go and I would reconcile two parties, well, that's biblical, right? You know, post the, that I'm just playing aside, you know, trying to one up for a job in a department. No, it's biblical to, to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so that's faith in the workplace. So it doesn't always have to be, you know, just this crusade revival. Sometimes <laughs> just small, subtle faith moments. And that's how we can integrate our faith in the workplace. Mm, I love that. That is, yes. And that's daily. And, you know, just like everything else, the most important things are usually those little things we're doing. It's it's the daily things we're doing to lead towards something. It's not always those big stagey moments because a lot of us show up in the big stagey moments because there's so much pressure oh. and visibility. That's the that's sometimes the easier place to show up right. is in the stagey moments in those little moments where just you know that it's like you see the tension, you know the tension. That's where we can really dig deep and say, okay, where am I? What do you? What should I really be doing in this moment? So that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. So any closing thought, because the last thing I want to do is do a lightning round just so people can get to know you better. But any closing thoughts before we do that? Because the, the lightning round questions are right quite random. So any closing thoughts on faith and work before I just give people a chance to get to know you a little better? The most thing to important with faith and work and is that you got to work at it, right, with anything um, and that get comfortable with who you are in your faith and remember that, you know, you're not an accountant who happens to be a believer and, you know, a physician who happens to be a believer. You know, I'm not a professor who has to be a believer. I'm a believer first who happens to be a professor. Mm. And so it's that identity lead. Um, and then the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you on different interactions and what to say and how to say it. Um, and just don't equate faith in the workplace as, again, having to have a revival and having to lay hands and the pray. Like that's not what it's, sometimes that is necessary. And I've done that in the workplace, right? But sometimes it's just somebody lost a loved one, sent them a night note, said, hey, I'm thinking of you. Uh, you're in my thoughts and prayers, right? Um, and sometimes it's, you know, when you see a coworker who's struggling, you know, it's just taking them to get a cup of coffee. Those practices create, makes the deposit kind of in the relationship bank, right? To allow you to minister to them. And that's living out your faith at work. And so don't look for the big flashy moments, mm -hmm. those small, still moments uh, where you can integrate and be available to individuals and be the light for them. I think that's what's most important. So, uh, but work at it um, and, and, and what level of comfort that you get with it will come from the level of work that you put into to doing it. We won't all, you know, wear a banner, blood stained banner, say, I'm a believer, believer across your head. Um, not everybody's called to do that. Some it's other areas and other ways, but there is a way you just got to find that lane and how to work it so that way you're comfortable with it. I love that. We can work on it. We can get better. Yeah, continually, we, we can get better. So thank you so much for sharing that. I love this conversation. I think it's going to help a lot of people think about how they want to approach this going forward. So a few questions just to help people learn more about you and just the work you've done and the life you live, etc. So the first question is, what's the most unique job you've ever had, would you say? So a lot of people don't know this, but I was actually a financial crimes auditor at the bank where I did money laundering and fraud cases and work with secret yeah. service, IRS. And so I would file reports on all the suspicious activity. Um, and so it's kind of like police work, but without a gun and at a computer. And I did that right out of undergrad when I was at the bank um, and did that for almost five years and really enjoyed it, but it wasn't my calling, wasn't my passion. And you deserve to love your job. And I didn't love my job at the time. And so I went and accepted my call, found my purpose. And now I love my job and love my calling. But yeah, I was I was doing financial crimes and actually put several people away, mobsters and things of that nature from money laundering. So really? Yes. 
that is quite yeah. interesting. And you're right, totally unknown. Right. Our whole church is going to be like, what? Right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Second question. What is one thing you do consistently to enjoy your life? Like what's one thing that adds joy to your life or one thing you just do consistently just to enjoy the life you live? So I, know, I think several things uh, I'm, uh, with five kids, uh, I'm enjoying everybody says that season of life, but you know, we're at 707 football on Monday night. We got practice tonight. We got karate. And so I just, I think I'm enjoying being a parent because it's all, it's amazing to me that God would entrust me with children. Um, and so raising them and then watching them is like, oh, you are a decent human being. I did do a good job. Um, and then the other thing too, is just, I love people um, and I love church and just groups of people. I'm an extrovert. I actually watch other church services and watch how churches started off in a living room and grew to 15,000, like that intrigues me. And so I'll read and try to understand and try to figure out models and everything like that. And so I think that that keeps me kind of grounded, um, just kind of as a, I think a research nerd, just understanding life from different groups and a sociological perspective, I think kind of keeps me enjoying life. Okay. Interesting. Perfect for your diversity work as well, just the study of people and interact with other people. So I know you spend a lot of time with students as a professor. Um, what are any tips you would give students kind of matriculating through these college years? You know, I have one of those. So what any advice you would give to students that are in these college years? Yeah, so I think, you know, in research says 18, 21 year olds is that is the critical point in faith because you begin to question it because for 18 years, your parents have told you this is what you believe. And then after that 21 on, you've had ex some experience to develop whether I believe this or not. Um, and I think it's it's okay. You don't lose out by being a believer. Um, you actually gain. Um, and so you're going to make mistakes. You're going to want to do certain things that are counter to what your faith says. Uh, but I think it's it's cool to believe. It's cool to be a believer. And there's a way to balance it out. Who I am now as a pastor, as an elder, which still blows my mind when people call me that. I was the same as I was pledging as an undergrad. I just wasn't as committed to the faith then. Uh, so I had to kind of go through some faith development, right? Uh, but I think that's the key is like, be who you are, but it's okay. You don't lose by being a believer. And then I think the other two things that I always share with students is the second thing is, you know, nobody has it figured out. Um, and so you have your life to figure things out. You don't have to figure it all out in four or five years in classes that rotate 16 weeks, right? You don't have to have it figured out. Um, and so trust the process and learn and grow because nobody knows what they want to do after four or five years. And generally what we get our degrees in, we don't even work in that space or field for a long period of time, if at all, once we graduate and go on. And then the last thing is love is overrated in college. You're not in love in college. Wait until you have a full-time job. You can pay your bills. <laughs> you can be in love. Then you can get married. But love is overrated in college. Nobody's in love. Wait till you pay the bills because love doesn't pay the bills. So. That at the end of every semester that these are the three things you need to know so <laughs> i love that very practical very practical and yeah i mean you're right in any four-year space if you think about i hadn't thought about that but the pressure we try to put sometimes on college students even as parents you know the pressure we try to put on college students to like figure it out like I, <laughs> you have to know you have to know and the reality of figuring out your whole life's career in four years is probably pretty improbable, even though we try to pressure them to do it. So that's a, that's a very good tip. Anything for parents? What would you say for parents of, of students? And you have children who are yeah. younger ages, you have college students. What, would, what advice would you give just parents in thinking about uh, some of these things? So I always tell parents all the time, like, your baby's going to be okay. 
um, and they're going to be fine. You survived college for those who went and survived those formative years. Your child are going to be, they're going to be fine. You know, I equate to when I dropped my babies off at daycare and they would cry and they would scream and me and Kim would just boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Well, one day I circled back and they're in there playing and like having <laughs> fun. So the emotion at the moment, feel it, but they're going to be fine. And this is kind of a rite of passage. And also, you know, it's, I know you're paying the bill and I know that you were involved in their life, but you got to, got to let them have this moment because what you do now will dictate what kind of adult they're going to be when they start adulting. And so, yes, still be involved and engaged, but kind of let them skin their knee a little bit. Let them, you know, miss a meal, right? So they'll feel it, right? Let them kind of understand those moments. And then, but overall, your child will be okay because we survived the moments. They will survive too. That is so true. That is so true. It doesn't feel like that when you drop them off, but that is that is so true. You're speaking to me. You're speaking to my heart right now. That is so true. Um, okay, and last question. What's a word of wisdom or piece of advice you live by? Just Tomorrow belongs to God, right? Tomorrow will take care of itself. Just be present in the moment. I have everything I need to be successful today. It's just up to me whether I want to use it or not. Mm. Um, and so that's financial, whether that's with academic, whether that's writing this book, whether that's raising kids. I have everything I need for today. But it's up to me whether I want to use it or not. Tomorrow I'll take care of itself. Sometimes these issues that I feel now will carry over to tomorrow, but we'll worry about that when we get there. Let's be present in the moment now, and then we can survive today. So that's kind of been my life of the last year or so, my life mantra. I love that. So, well, just thank you so much for joining. I so appreciate your insights and your perspective and and just your ideas, practical strategies for how we can integrate our faith and work. Of course, I'm looking forward to the book. Yes. Yeah, so all of our audience can look forward to that, a book that can give some insights and ideas for people on how these things can be integrated as well. And I think they can find you on LinkedIn, right? Dr. Yes. Kenneth Chapman Jr. I'm on LinkedIn. And so in little things about me, I'm not on any other social media. Uh, I'm just an old soul and just, I don't have time, but I am on LinkedIn. And yeah. If you need to find me, just find Dr. Green. You know how to find me. That's right. I will find you. I will find you. So thank you again so much for joining and thank you all for listening in. If you love this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You're also invited to join my private email group where I share tips, resources, freebies, and ideas to help you love your job and grow your business. Click join the crew in the show notes.